0: This is episode 144 of Herpetological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. And, well, I'm not actually sure which episode topic we're doing today. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for a couple, but that doesn't help. We're doing Palmer Okay,
1: Palmer We're doing these strange frogs from New Zealand. The
0: frogs that are meant to be more... What's the right word? They've had quite an early split from the rest of the amphibians.
1: Yeah, they're old school Uh, frogs, they're old school frogs.
0: See, this is the thing, I didn't want to say that, I didn't want to say like they're more basal or they're more ancestral or something, because they're not, right? They're still evolved as much as any other frog, it's just their common ancestor with other frogs is much older. As in, existed far back in time, yeah?
1: Yeah, that's that's a level of pedantry I can accept. It is, but
0: it's like, you don't want to think about it these animals as less evolved, do you? It's like <laughs> living fossils. We've got to get away from that, right?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, do you lose the right to be called more evolved if you don't change for, you know, 65 million right. years? It, but you can't see the
0: changes. They're still there. The drift
1: is still there. They're minute.
0: Yeah, okay, that's probably right? fair. But
1: anyway, we're talking about Leopelma. They are tailed frogs from New Zealand. Have you ever been to New Zealand, Ben? I haven't even been close. No, neither have I. I haven't even been to the... Yeah, no, I've never been to Australia or New Zealand. I'd like to go. I've
0: been to the Southern Hemisphere once. That's it. That's as close as Uh, I get.
1: Southern Hemisphere. (laughs) Yeah. I've been on the equator. That's about as close as I've gotten. Have I been in the Southern Hemisphere? Oh, no. What am I talking about? Wait, what? Isn't... (laughs) Thailand's in the Southern Hemisphere. No, it's 14 (laughs) degrees north. What? The south of Thailand, though?
0: South of Thailand is still north of the equator there's no way the <laughs> length of the country is over 14
1: degrees no way i wish we hadn't got into this now it's gotten very very confusing yeah well i'm gonna
0: check while you're talking about something else
1: so um we mentioned these frogs diverge from other frogs about 200 million years ago their closest relatives are thought to be tailed frogs which are the family Ascaphidae, which are from northern america and there are three species in this genus Leopelma. But before we get too much into this Leopelma, we should mention this is a patron episode. So Max McLarnan, big up and thank you very much. Max wanted to hear about these strange little tailed frogs. And um, yeah. Most southern Thailand hits is about six degrees. Uh, so it's all, yeah. But Malaysia surely is in the southern hemisphere. No, not quite. And Indonesia.
0: Really? Indonesia, however, yes.
1: Okay, so I've definitely been to the southern hemisphere. Case closed.
0: Singapore is about... One degree north,
1: which is the tip of the
0: uh, Malay um, Peninsula.
1: Okay, I'm glad we got that one straightened out. Nothing to do with what we're talking about today. We are solely in (laughs) New Zealand. And uh, New Zealand is in the Pacific Ocean to the east of Australia. I think most people probably know that. Uh, It has two big islands. And over 700 little islands. And the two big islands are conveniently called North Island and South Island. We like that. We get a lot of that sensible naming stuff from (laughs) Australasia. (laughs) I know I've never been there, but I have it on good authority. They have some native frogs in this genus, Leopelma. They are the only frogs native to New Zealand. And Leopelma, this name, Leopelma. I was like, what does that mean? Like a lion skin, lion pelt. No, not quite. No. No, not that There's an I. There's an extra I in there, which means it's nothing to do with lions. Apparently, Leo means smooth, and Pelma means the sole of the foot in ancient Greek. So, they've got some kind of very smooth sole of the foot.
0: Ah, of course, they have a very poor grip in
1: icy weather. I don't understand why that is. I couldn't find like someone with any authority writing on that. So those it could be that they're,
0: they're like missing some like groove or indentation that's normal in other frogs or something along those lines it might be a lack of feature rather than a yeah. particularly smooth foot because these things can be named weird can't they
1: and also don't arboreal frogs generally have like bigger toes maybe they've just got non just long fingers thinner, smaller <laughs> they've got creepy little fingers honestly <laughs> They also have extra vertebrae to other frogs because, you know, as I said, they diverged a long time ago. They got some weird characteristics, extra vertebrae. And they also well, that have That sounds this, like they're more evolved.
0: Um, You're saying they're less evolved. That sounds like an uh, advantage.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they have the extra vertebrae. It might be something to do with the name tailed frogs. So they practice tail wagging, which there's a scientific term for tail wagging. And they call it cordially poo boys. Shiotibialis. <laughs> <That's, laughs> no, they don't. That's the scientific that's word one for word. Tail wagging. Yeah, that or the muscles that produce a, a tail wagging.
0: That's absurd. That's absurd. Someone had fun making that up.
1: Yeah, ridiculous. I mean, has anyone ever used that in a sentence without irony? I would expect not. Unless there's some proper like tail wagging experts a, out there. That's
0: going to be a hell of a uh, crossword. <laughs> Really nice. Yeah, and
1: needless to say, my uh, text editing software does not believe it to be a word. But anyway, we're talking about Liopelma. There used to be s- seven species, I think, but most have gone extinct. Four of the seven have gone extinct. Obviously, human beings came to New Zealand and they brought a host of invasive species as well, including rats and other mammals and even some other frogs that we're not going to get into too much. But there are some introduced species of frog. And what's that? What that has kind of meant is that the range of all these three species that remain in Leopelma are kind of dramatically reduced, mostly on islands now where before they had a sort of broader range. Although actually, yeah, that's more the case for Hamilton's frog, the ones in the north still on the mainland. But they're pretty cool. They directly develop, kind of. They don't have, like, a proper free-living larval stage. They lay, like, between 20 and 70 eggs, which develop into sort of miniature froglets without a proper larval stage. They kind of come out looking like tadpoles with legs and a tail. And as far as I can tell, they don't eat when they're tadpoles.
0: Yeah, half-direct developing is actually a really accurate (laughs) phrase for describing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, there is a really, really dense paper about their uh, tadpole development. And the long and short of it is that they don't really eat as tadpoles. So it kind of makes people think it's not relevant. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, they will be frogs soon enough. They come huh. out of the eggs with legs. so And don't eat. They don't eat. No, don't waste time That's eating.
0: That's just bizarre.
1: That's really weird. They only survive on the yolk. Yeah. And I think when they're tadpoles, they're like, digestive systems are pretty, not really doing a lot. They're silent as well, Ben. Completely and utterly silent. Yes. Could argue you can't the perfect hear them coming. Nope. You won't hear them coming. Smooth feet. You won't hear them going. Zero grip. Zero sound. I <laughs> can sneak up on you in a heartbeat. And slip by. So, yeah, they're silent. And the reason for that is because they don't cool. They don't. Cool over territory. They don't call to entice mates like most frogs. When you hear them screaming, same as you hear birds, it's all a big pissing contest. But in this case, they're not doing that. They don't even have a proper voice box to speak of. They do have the ability. They're not. I've said they were silent. They're only silent in terms of like calling. If you pick one up, they kind of make this like noise. It's like like this little squeaky squeeze. I'm scared. Get off. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't find a video of it, but if you squeeze them, they will squeak. You probably don't even have to squeeze them. Maybe don't pick them up don't squeeze them but the other thing is they will also squeak when they're mating so it seems they quite enjoy that they'll have a little squeak there as well ben before we get more into leo palmer and some of the fun things they do you know we have to pay pay the taxonomical piper we have to talk about their taxonomy a little bit
0: i mean we don't (laughs) i
1: I will insist um can i give you the
0: badly noted version where they exist on all sorts of islands and they were all thought to be different and then they're all sort of the same
1: yeah that's the long and short of it in some ways there are three species now there was a fourth species designated back in 1998 the ones on maude island they were thought to be their own species for a bit they described it as leopelma pacheca which I only wanted to mention because I thought the name was actually cool. It was by far the best name that any one of these frogs was ever given. And unfortunately, it's now a junior synonym and is not used anymore. Junior synonym.
0: It does roll off the tongue nicely, doesn't it? It's yeah, nice Leopelma it. Pakeka. Yeah.
1: So Pakeka, that word, it's from Te Pakeka, which is the name that the Gati Kui Gatikui tribe gave to Maud Island before it was given the Maori name of Te Hoere. Currently... The most western point of this moored island, which is at the top of the big south island, retains the name Te Pakeka. And Pakeka means land that has been exhausted by cultivation or overused land, tired land.
0: What a lovely sounding island. That's where I want to visit. I, want, I love visiting areas that have been cultivated <laughs> beyond <laughs> a sensible carrying capacity. Lovely. Can see yeah, it now. it's
1: kind of sad, isn't it? But anyway, that was described as a species in 1995, but then later on in, no, 98, and then 2001, there was some genetic work done. It turned out it was not relevant, and uh, they were actually genetically very, very similar throughout the range. There wasn't, like, evidence of much divergence, so they were like, all right, no, you're back to being Leopelma hamiltonii, Hamiltoni. So that's the kind of Moored Island frog on Moored Island, uh, Leopelma Hamiltoni. hamiltonii, they're also called something else because they're not just found on Mord Island. Oh, Hamilton's frog. Yeah. They're named yeah. after. Named after someone called Hamilton. This species, Hamilton's frog, used to be much more widespread, but it went extinct from the North and South Islands due to habitat alteration and the mammals that got introduced. And now there are two populations remaining, one on Mord Island, the original island, and one on Stevens Island, which is without mammal predators. And there's also an introduced population that we'll touch on a bit later. But you're probably wondering about the other two species. We mentioned Leopelma hamiltonii. There's also Leopelma hoxtetarii, which is Hochstetter's frog, which is named after Dr. Ferdinand von Hockstetter, an Austrian geologist, who, while doing geology business, managed to take some specimens of this frog to Europe. Hence the name being named after him. And they're found at the kind of tippy top of New Zealand's North Island. And so too are the other, the third species, again named after someone, this one's named after Sir Gilbert Archie, who used to be the director of the Auckland Institute and Museum, and they called it Leopelma archii. So if you want to see frogs, north
0: is where you got to go, New Zealand-wise, basically.
1: Yeah, your best bet is the very northern tip of the northern island, that's where you've got these two species, Leopelma archii and Hockstetter. They're all very small, these frogs. They're less than five centimetres long. Hoxtetters is the most aquatic of the gang. And this is kind of reflected in am usually mating in or close to water. Archie's frog, much more a terrestrial beast. Likes it moist, you know, we're still talking about an amphibian. But prefers forests, grassy clearings, etc. And uh, Hockstetter's. They like to mate in or around water, while the archii prefer to mate in moist crevices under logs. So these two are actually found in the same areas, and it seems like they've kind of just separated out by one being more water-based and one being more land-based. Nice little bit of
0: niche partitioning.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The eighth. one thing that differentiates uh, Hoxtetters from the other two is that the other two have this like funny little defense mechanism strategy that they all employ, where they they assume if you upset them, they assume a rigid headbutting stance with a raised body and extended legs. Oh, like a toad. Yeah, like they yeah. sort of stand up and try Look and impress big. you with Look their tough. with their size. Yeah, it's very scary. But yeah, Archies don't do that. No, oh, they do do that. Excuse me, it's Hocksters that don't do that, and. Yes, hockstetters don't do that, while the other two do. And the other thing that's cool is that Archie Eye, when it's in water, it uses... You know, if you imagine a frog swimming, it's like both legs pop out at the same time. Yes. They just pump. Yeah. This one doesn't. They do alternated kicks, which is like quite toady and very unusual. Oh,
0: I bet you they Do they slightly... Probably swim in a slight sort of S-weave sort of pattern, I would imagine, because of that.
1: I'd imagine there's a little bit of wiggling, rolling. I would think so, yeah. They also, (laughs) all three of them... Actually. It is weird, yeah. It's impossible to find video of these animals, though. They're super mysterious. That's Couldn't find a video of that. I'd like to see very a video of them swimming. That sounds yeah, really, well,
0: really odd.
1: Don't get your hopes up.
0: And it's just one of the three species that do that?
1: Yes. That's even weirder. Oh, well, actually, no, no, that might be all three. I don't know. Maybe the other two don't go in water so much.
0: Well, if it's all three of them, maybe it's a thing to do with their extra vertebra. <laughs> or the yeah. whole tailed frog thing. Because could be dude. one at a time would and sort of the more uh what do you call it there's a special word for swimming in an s shape sino swimming sino sinusoid that's a ticket yeah it's like they're swimming with a tail but not having a full-blown tail
1: you're right a phantom tail yeah i think we sussed it i think we sussed out this tailed frog thing (laughs) so they also have the ultimate amphibian defense strategy which is remaining completely motionless when threatened That's true courage, that is. True courage. Yeah. Works for most species. And like I said, you know, there's three species of of this in this genus, Leopelma, but we're really mostly going to be discussing Maud's or Hamilton's frogs, which are the ones found on Maud Island and Stevens Island, as well as there's this translocated population. Well, there's three translocated populations that, you know, they've been doing some conservation work on this species. Yeah. Reintroduced. Uh, They've caught them up from healthy populations and then moved them around and they've done that. They've put them on Motuara Island, Nukuwaita Island, and within Zealandia Eco Sanctuary in Wellington, which is the only one on the uh on the mainland or one of the mainland islands. <laughs> one of the two mainland
0: island islands.
1: Yeah, yeah highly confusing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Any idea how long these things can live, Ben? Care to guess?
0: <laughs> the problem is I know. Oh, he knows. He knows it's, it. It. it's in sitting in front of me, it's highlighted in <laughs> yellow highlighter and it says over four <laughs> well. three years.
1: It's a while, isn't it? Which is nuts for a frog. Yeah. Or at least in my mind it is. really old. It is for me too, yeah. It seems like a really long time. And I think part of the reason for that success in terms of longevity might be their sedentary nature. They don't move a lot. They're small and they don't move a lot. They maintain home ranges of around 25 metres squared for multiple decades. And if you're wondering what 25 metres squared is, it's six times the size of a king-size bed. So imagine living your whole life on six king-size mattresses all placed out on the floor, that'd be this frog by choice. Sounds yes. like some people I know.
0: thats I wonder how much verticalities in there too, though. Because they're not just living your life on the flat, 25 meters squared. It's kind of it's underplaying the options they have.
1: Yeah, I think they're more sort of bushy. But yeah, yeah, there will be some sort of ferns and things likely to be around. But yeah, Hamilton's frog. So let's introduce this paper that we're going to talk about. And I've literally just said, I've literally just said they're mostly floor dwellers. <laughs> Title of the paper is, uh, it's by belli Lamar and Bishop, 2021. Archaic terrestrial Hamilton's frogs, Leo Palmer Hamiltoni, display arboreal behaviours. New Zealand Journal of Ecology. So well, that's me told.
0: I see. That was me almost trying to set you up for a beautiful segue and you, and you missed it, mate.
1: <laughs> I slapped it away and then got it completely wrong. <laughs> what, a, what a guy. Yeah. So... We're talking about frogs which were part of a conservation translocation. As I mentioned, these frogs were volunteered to move house for the good of the species. Kind of akin to the first humans on Mars. Will it be good? Will it be regrettable? And actually, probably it's probably turned out a lot better than the first humans on Mars will. They've actually seemed to have made a go of it and set up a he- healthy sustaining population. But what they've done, they picked up these frogs, Ben's shaking his head in disbelief. They yeah, I'm, up I'm, 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 I'm,
0: I'm so confused. You're talking about it like it's something that's happened.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm just, all I'm doing is... I think, you're predicting
0: I an initial failure to colonise Mars is what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I've seen It's the less Martian. successful than Hamilton's Frog's reintroduction yeah. into the I main
1: if, two islands of New Zealand. Yeah, I think it's naive to think that our first foray into Mars will be a success. Some...
0: Someone make her note of this. When we get the, the news back of how the 1st ones go, and we'll compare it to the success of these lovely
1: frogs. Mate, you have Perfect. to live in a greenhouse if you first go to Mars. I've seen it. <laughs> anyway, so these frogs, they've been picked up and they've been moved as part of this conservation measure and where they put them in um, the... What's the place called? The Zealandia Eco Sanctuary. Eco Sanctuary. Eco Sanctuary. The eco-sanctuary is called Zealandia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zealandia. So they picked them up and they moved them to this eco-sanctuary called Zealandia, which is in Wellington on New Zealand's South Island. We're at the very top of the South Island here, the very tippity top and it's in inside this eco sanctuary they have a fence which is a safe zone it's an exclusionary fence so that no kiwis can get in kiwis are the famous new zealand flightless bird they're little birds they can't fly but they can eat frogs so they have to be excluded from the area they're going to put these frogs in because at least temporarily they don't want them being predated by the kiwi birds i think long term that would be amazing to to have an extra food supply you know you want an ecosystem that's got connections linkage healthy but initially, they didn't want all their frogs getting straight kiwis away munched eat frogs. by kiwis. Yes.
0: Wow, I completely read the whole section backwards. Do I thought they the were put were eating in kiwi with fruits? the kiwis. And the exclusion fence was to keep things that would eat the kiwis out. And there was this beautiful sanctuary where kiwis and frogs lived in peace from all the introduced mammalian predators that were kept outside.
1: You sweet summer child, Ben. Yeah. I think, what, did you think all New Zealand's animals sort of saw themselves as some kind of team? I just
0: thought kiwis were uh like little uh, bug specialists, and uh, frogs were simply not on the menu.
1: That's good. Okay. Uh, I can see why you thought that. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's a beautiful image, frogs and kiwis living together, eating small bugs. In
1: perfect but, harmony. Uh, alas. Yeah. Sadly, not the case. But it sounds like a nice area, though. They've got nice trees there and lots of what are called supplejack vines, which sound very nice and it's like this sloped ground covered in multiple rock piles because these frogs love rocks right they're really they big into rocks they like rocky patches they like living underneath the rocks and they also installed a boardwalk so that the scientists who were monitoring the frogs after them being introduced didn't have to like cr- crash through the ground and smash up all the plants love a boardwalk so that sounds like a really nice enjoyable way to survey and yeah while they were sort of monitoring these frogs these frogs were thought of as kind of strictly terrestrial for floor dwelling frogs not some kind of frog that was going to climb trees a lot of the time but um they surprised the scientists and they actually found that they were going up the trees quite a lot and even nesting in well not nesting but hiding out in little log hollows up in trees and i think It's kind of just cool because there was this big conservation project, Translocate These Frogs, we're trying to conserve them, and then they just start doing behaviours which no one expects. It just goes to show how little we know about a lot of species of amphibian. And it reminded me of that paper we covered recently about the toads in the UK going up into trees and using the little hidey holes that were Mm. set aside for the, um, what was it, like, door mice? Yeah. Yes, All amphibians seem to be surprising people and doing arboreal things. And they talk about why it might be the case that these frogs are like suddenly going up and down in trees. And they say that prior to the introduction of mammals like rats, their biggest predators for these frogs was kiwis, as we've mentioned, but also the endemic and magnanimous tuatara, that non-lizard reptile that looks like a lizard but isn't a lizard it's far more ancient than lizards It's a sphenodont it's
0: a, it's a living fossil
1: it's a living fossil god damn it it's ancient <laughs> yeah but as ben will be quick to point out it hasn't stopped evolving all right so don't call it ancient
0: <laughs> don't under the t- 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 tuatara is trying hard all right he's keeping up right like
1: tuatara should be trying harder the <laughs> Maybe, though, it could be that they're up there to hide from predators. It could be up, They could be up there because they are trying to get more food, you know, trees. Generally speaking, especially in, like, uh, tropical places. I know this isn't tropical, but usually there are actually more invertebrates up in trees than down on the floor. So it could be that they're up there to get more mites and flies. It could be both. It could be of predator avoidance and also eating more mites and
0: yeah. flies. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of, like, microhabitat possibilities, too. When you're an animal that has to regulate your temperature and moisture by where you are in the environment you're in who knows who knows why you're going up into the trees but i would be very very surprised if it wasn't to do with microhabitat sort of stuff finding those patches of moisture finding cooler spots
1: finding warmer spots talking about moisture mate you've mentioned these frogs need to stay moist there is another way in which they like to stay moist or at least certainly many amphibians like to stay moist and that is by hanging out with their friends So that actually leads us nicely on to the second paper we're going to discuss, which is by many of the same team. We got Lamb, Altabelli, Easton, Godfrey and Bishop. This one was published in 2022. Captive Hamilton's Frog Associates Non-Randomly Under Retreat Sites, Preliminary Insights into Their Social Networks. Published in the New Zealand Journal of Zoology. So we know that hiding out underneath refuge, so like rocks or... I don't know, logs or even artificial refuges that humans have put down. Salamanders will frequently go underneath uh, hiding places with other salamanders. There's quite a few instances where salamanders have been shown to like gathering in retreat sites you know little holes under boards they will actually preferentially choose retreat sites which have the scent of other salamanders so they're like yep yeah, there's salamanders under there i'll go under there and, I- and we talked about this a little bit in the context of garter snakes a yeah few i was weeks gonna say ago. there was a
0: snake i think rattlesnakes too there was a species of rat snake we covered at some point that would be more likely to shelter with those who were closely related than those less closely related right
1: right exactly and that's the kind of next step to these kinds of studies it's like okay well they like being in crews but do they have like particular individuals that they prefer yeah. to hang around how with? are
0: they choosing their friends if they are friends
1: <laughs> it's one of the most relatable behaviours I think that like animals do you know if you were if you were out in the wild and you crawled under a log and there was like somebody else there and it was cold you'd be like yeah what's up do you want to sort of like share the warmth and I think that <laughs> that's kind of a more extreme version of when you're a cold blooded animal because you know not only do they need to try and maintain their body temperature but these are amphibians so if they dry out they're in trouble and if there's two of you emanating a little bit of moisture you're going to stay more moist next to each other
0: right but I think there's also, there's a second bit to it. It's not, I mean, you're talking about something very sort of practical, more biomechanical way of thinking about it. But I think there's also like a group thinking use of community knowledge thing going on too. If you rock up to a place and there's a bunch of frogs hanging out, there's a good indicator I mean, are all of those frogs going to be wrong? If you rock up to a place and there's just one frog, well, yeah, maybe they've just made a mistake. And the more frogs they are, you know, the more f- frogs have made that decision. Sort of like groupthink, I suppose, but potentially positive because surely all those frogs haven't made a mistake.
1: Exactly. And if something comes along and turns it over, there's the third benefit ah, of safety in numbers. Right.
0: You only have to be not the slowest.
1: Exactly exactly and so in this study they basically had like a bunch of enclosures with about five or six frogs in each one and they were just looking and every day every now and again they'd look under all their little hiding places in the enclosures and look to see how the frogs were interacting whether or not basically who was under each hide and whether or not there was like a pattern to who they selected to be with and then they created social networks from all of the individuals and yes they, they did know they
0: individuals so with their unique markings right
1: Yeah, they knew which ones were which. They didn't know if they were males or females because it's really hard to tell in this species. Generally, I think they go by size with wild frogs. It's like if it's over a certain size, it's female. But if it's under a certain certain size, it's unknown. Oh, no, they did know. They did know the genders, but they didn't control for it. They just put them randomly in the thing. And to be honest, I think that was one of the shortcomings which they kind of freely admitted is that there was a lot of unknowns in this study um there was a lot of okay the hiding places that they had weren't all identical and yeah, there was both within an individual
0: enclosure and between the enclosures between yeah yeah
1: and different numbers of them too yeah and also yeah there was weird mixtures of males and females they kind of stopped short of drawing any like major conclusions about the frogs having like best friends or anything like that but <laughs> that's what really saying, what we
0: wanted was the identification yeah. of frog best friends
1: yeah but what they are able to suggest is that the the individual frogs weren't associating randomly there was like non-random association it seemed as though like in the short term particularly individual frogs were more likely to be hiding with other particular individuals than just like randomly choosing frogs so this study kind of is a bit of a first step it's like a right you know not many people have looked into the kind of social aggregation behavior of frogs we've not done it particularly scientifically but the way we have done it is worth presenting to people as like a jumping off point this could be a phenomenon that is in frogs as well as it is in salamanders
0: yeah no absolutely i think it opens a lot of doors and i think it's got a lot of nice bits of information to help calibrate a future study so one of the things that came up in a couple of their tanks was that the what they're calling reassociation chance so the chance that they're going to find frogs with the same frog again sort of was higher over the first 30 to 40 days and then it sort of tapered off after that. So there's things like that. So if you go to design a study in the future for these frogs, you know you're probably going to have to hit at least 30 to 40 days study duration to capture that sort of drop-off, if there is a drop-off, if you care about the drop-off. But little things like that that are unbelievably helpful when designing a study because, like, why wouldn't you just do this with lots of individuals, but only for a week? Well... Hmm. Because
1: it won't be good enough.
0: Right. But you'd get very now short-term stuff, and it would potentially show you a really strong co-association effect. But what happens... at Like, now we know that that's 30 to 40 days, things can change. Or at least, in a couple of these tanks, it seemed to. What changes at 30 to 40 days? Is that an artifact of just randomness and they get bored? Eh, it doesn't look like it, but, you know. Yeah. It's just nice having those sorts of things. It's a good starting point.
1: Maybe they're fickle frogs and they get new friends every few weeks. Well,
0: exactly. Is it a fickleness thing or is it a like consistent pattern to promote sort of mixing and they don't have uh, stable pairings in a captive environment over longer periods of time?
1: I'm ready for fickleness to come into animal behavior a lot more. <laughs> I think it's an underappreciated facet of their behavior. I I think
0: you're going to have a tough time People using the word fickle because it's like negative connotations.
1: Because it sounds a bit sinister. Yeah. yeah. yeah, But it does roll off the tongue, doesn't it? It is quite a fun word, but I think you need something effect.
0: that has a more neutral, uh, mm. unstable okay. pairings, stuff like that.
1: One thing they did highlight, which I thought was cool, is that, you know, we mentioned there was a bunch of these frogs being translocated. During the translocation of Hamilton's frogs to Long Island, frogs released with their nearest neighbours moved Shorter distances on their night of release, yes, uh, than those released with random individuals, right? Which is kind of crazy. Like it kind of suggests that if you put them back with their friends, <laughs> they're not so inclined to move around, right? Maybe they really feel safe and comfortable. Yeah, so that's probably a little good things time. like that.
0: Plus, it sort of backs up what I was saying with um, like group sourcing knowledge. If you've got one really smart frog that's really good at spotting good shelter locations that might sort of benefit the rest of the group you're releasing that frog with if they've got these previously established sort of social pairings, this social network. So you can have one smart leader frog potentially boosting the survival of of other frogs that co-share shelter sites with it, maybe. You'd hope so.
1: Yep. Exactly. Yeah, cool. So there we go. New Zealand tailed frogs. You know, the beginnings of a social network for frogs. Mm. And... Yeah, just a good conservation, bit of a conservation success story. Yeah, I really hope they manage to uh, remain extant. I mean, we only really briefly mentioned what they even look like. They're really nice little things, very small, very, very well camouflaged, super cryptic looking. My personal favourite is Leo Palmer, Archie Eye. And yeah, I hope that they have a long future in the islands of New Zealand. Have you got any other business, Ben?
0: No, I don't have any other business for this episode whatsoever.
1: Okay, no neither do i all that remains to be said is th- thank you very much to max mclarnan for the episode selection if you want to become our patreon you can at patreon.com slash herp highlights financially support the podcast is hugely appreciated all those that do and if we've got anything wrong you can get in touch with us Highlights at gmail.com or if you want to just send us a message um we're on social media you can find us that way so yeah thank you very much for listening yeah, thanks for listening